<laughs> That's a good way to put it, Jen. Good morning, Mount Helena Community Church. All right, we're alive and well today. This is good. I have not, other than the first service this morning, I have not stood up here in the pulpit like this for about four months. That's a long time. Thanks. Appreciate that, Tyler. Uh, For those of you that don't know, uh, that I haven't got to meet yet, or you've joined us in recent months, uh, I am the senior leader of Mount Helena Community Church, and I've been on a sabbatical for three months, and then I've taken a few weeks here getting reassimilated into the office and back into the groove. And uh, I just want to take a moment and just tell you guys thanks. Thanks for being, continuing being a part of what we're doing and a part of the church and uh, just being helpful in so many ways. There have been so many little stories I've heard about how people have really stepped up to the plate and, and uh, owned things and taken care of business, and I just appreciate that. I really want to thank my staff and my elders especially. Uh, that they just did such a great job. And I know they ended up with some extra work because I wasn't around, but I'm really glad they did. And and I also especially want to recognize Jason. Again, this service, just say thanks, Jason, because I'm sure most of you know he really, really had to step up in the gap there to cover all things while I was away and carry the weight uh, that I was not picking up while I was gone. So would you give those guys a hand, please? I am really glad to be back up here. I've been getting excited to preach again. I really do enjoy doing it. Uh, It can be nerve-wracking at times, but it's fun. And just going through the process of God speaking and developing something and then getting to share it with you guys on Sundays, uh, I really enjoy it. I I was on what we call a sabbatical, and we derive that word sabbatical from the idea of Sabbath which is a time of rest, a day of rest that we see in the beginning of the story, and then we see it used in different ways throughout Scripture. And I'm going to take a brief look at some of those things today. Um, I've been doing some, a lot of, I rested a lot. I did a lot of reflection and hopefully recalibrating, recalibrating the equipment for the next season of life, recalibrating in my mind and and, and I want to get back in the groove, but I don't want to get right back in the same groove. So I've been doing some uh, coaching with a friend of ours, Mark Sampson, or Mark uh, Spencer in uh, Minnesota. He's a pastor there, but he also has a counseling degree. He's uh, coached hundreds, I think he even said over a thousand pastors uh, throughout his time. He's, he's just got a great gift, and I've appreciated that. But one of the things that I learned, and uh, I've heard a little bit about it since I've gotten back in into the office is that uh, there was a study done by a group called the Lilly Foundation. And the Lilly Foundation, what they do is they fund churches to send their pastors on extended leaves to um, recalibrate. And what they found is that 70% of pastors that go on sabbatical do not return to their jobs. Seven out of ten pastors across all denominations that go on an extended break do not return to their jobs. And it makes us have to stop and ask ourselves some very serious questions about what we do and how we do it and the way we operate. And uh, so I've just, I've been learning a lot about that, and I'm hopeful that it will help me be a better leader. I'm hopeful that it will help me lead other leaders to be better leaders and those kind of things. So... I want to uh, get us started in a series called Time Out, The Rest of God, or Resting in God. And I want to talk about a number of different things over probably the next six or seven weeks where we uh, 
really just examine what this whole idea of resting in God is. And I want to start with Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, but I'm going to start in prayer first. Father, I am grateful this morning. Lord, I'm grateful for the opportunity to be sharing from your word today. I'm grateful for the work you've been doing in me. I'm grateful for the work you've been doing in the church. And Lord, we just submit this time to you right now. I pray that the truth of your word would go out in power today. Not JR's word, but the biblical word, the scripture. Lord, that it would go out in power today and do the work it needs to do in all of our hearts as we take a look at it today. So Lord, we submit this time to you and ask you to lead us by your spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. How many of you could use some rest? None of you? Really? Come on. Okay, I'm talking about rest. How many of you are going to take a nap this afternoon? Possibly. Okay, if we're optimistic, how many of you are going to take a nap this afternoon? Yeah. I will be taking a nap this afternoon. I do pretty much every Sunday afternoon I preach. You guys wear me out, you know, and I got to go home and I got to get some rest. I'm not just talking about physical rest. How many of you could use some peaceful rest in your soul right now, in your emotions, in your mind, in the chaos that you've been trying to walk through? How many of you could use some real soul level rest. That's what I want to talk about today. Jesus promised us that he has rest for us. And it doesn't mean that he helps you take a nap, although I think that's part of it. He has something for your soul to rest in. Come to me all who labor and are heavy laden. And so many of us are so heavy often with the weight and the worry of the world. We live in a very anxious world. Anxiety is very, very high. Do I need you to explain this to you right now? We all know about it. We're all feeling it. We're feeling the tension. We're feeling the chaos. We're feeling the arguing and and just the anxiety level going up in so many different ways in the world. But God promises us rest. I was visiting with a friend of mine this last week and she said, I don't feel rested. Am I doing something wrong? And see, the word of God comes to us, and it's truth. And it's truth that gets sown into our hearts, but it doesn't always line up with our current reality. I don't feel real rested, but I know that Jesus has promised this for me. How do I get there? And God's about the journey. He doesn't just give us easy buttons to push and automatically solve all of our problems. But he gives us these promises that we can begin to aspire towards something that he wants to give. And rest is one of those things. But we have to stop and take a time out and consider what is the truth? How do I get there? How do I navigate the chaos around me? Do you know anxiety is contagious? There's a lot of sowing of anxiety into one another's lives. If someone comes into your house or you're going to have an interaction with somebody today and they start communicating to you and what you begin to hear in the tone is anxiety, fear, bad stuff's going to happen. We should all be afraid. We should all be scared. We should all get our hackles up and get really tense. And we get absorbed in that kind of communication. I feel fairly confident today that I could go out and make a video on YouTube this afternoon declaring fear-based things and I would have thousands of followers by the end of the day. Why? Fear and anxiety 
specifically is contagious. And actually, I don't believe that emotions are wrong. I think humanism has taught us to begin to believe that somehow I can think my way out of my emotions. That somehow if I think hard enough, faith will happen. If I think hard enough about it, my emotions will submit. But God is emotional. We are made in his image. God has emotions. It's not wrong that we have emotions. And when we feel anxiety, you know, there's a spectrum, isn't there, of anxiety? When we want to soften the word anxiety into something more comfortable and healthy, we say, concerned. I'm concerned. Not anxious. I'm concerned. Well, I think that's a healthy thing. We do need to be concerned about things. That's, a, that's the base form of anxiety. What about fear? If I go out hiking on Mount Helena this afternoon and a thousand pound grizzly meets me in the trail, what am I going to feel? Fear. Probably fear. <laughs> Grab the camera. This is a great photo opportunity. Woo! <laughs> Probably not what I'm going to do. Why? I'm smart. I'm going to be concerned. Now, what is that? That's my response to the power of the situation. There's a power, and I don't know if it's under control or out of control. I don't know what that grizzly's going to do, but he's way more powerful than me physically, right? And so, in order to protect myself, there's a fear that comes. That's not unhealthy. That's smart. God wired that into you. You're supposed to have it, and ultimately, you're supposed to fear him, what does that mean? So do we, do we need to be scared of God? Like we can't approach him? On one hand, in our sinfulness, we would literally die in the presence of God because he's so righteous and we're so not. But on the other hand, he has made a way through the blood of Jesus Christ that we can approach him and we don't have to have that kind of fear of him, but we better have a fear that is a reverent respect for the awesome power of the maker of the universe and what he could do. The scripture instructs us over and over and over to fear God. We have emotions. We have things like anxiety. Some of us have like clinical levels of anxiety. We've got issues with ourselves. We've all got these things going on and God wants to work with us on those things. I am not of the thinking that you need to just change your mind about what you feel and it's going to go away. The scripture doesn't teach us that at all. God's word is full of great instruction for our lives. How do we get to that rest? How do we get to that place where I can operate in a security and a peace in Jesus Christ? I mean, I'm preaching about anxiety and I'm tense doing it, right? That's the irony of all this. How do we get to that place of rest in the middle of these things? 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, Train yourself for godliness. What are we to do? We're we're supposed to aspire towards godliness, to train ourselves in it, not getting caught up in these other things. Watch your life and your doctrine closely. Persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Paul is writing a letter to his spiritual son, Timothy, and he's giving him instruction on how to be a leader in the church, how to teach others in the church how the church should be operating and how he should operate as a leader. And he's warning him about these things. There's there's these these silly things that come along, irreverent things, things that are chaotic. There's, you know, Paul talks a lot about wolves coming in and causing division and devouring within the flock. And he gives us really good instruction about how to handle things. He says, watch your life and your doctrine closely. 
If you do, you will be saved. And so when I'm, when I'm talking about the idea of rest in the middle of the chaos and the anxiety of the world, you guys, the world has always had anxiety. It's always had chaos. It's always been dysfunctional. And it comes and it goes in different ways at different times. And as those waves come along, how do we navigate those? We, we get to the right thinking about who God is, a right understanding about who he is. We watch our doctrine closely. We want to persevere in our understanding and, and what we believe so that we can be preserved in those situations and not get swept away in the madness. I believe that the body of Christ should be the most calming, contented, peaceful, grounded people on the planet right now. That doesn't really, unfortunately, seem to be what I'm experiencing, watching what's going on. Because if we really believe what we say we believe, and if we really believe what the scripture teaches, then we know how this ends. We know where it goes. God sees the beginning from the end. He's got all things ready. He knows exactly how it's going to unfold. He has a plan that he is going to fulfill throughout the ages. You won't stop him. Sometimes that's kind of comforting to just say to yourself, I won't stop God. Satan won't stop God. Nothing will stop God. He will fulfill what he has set out to do. But what did he set out to do? Well, if we have sound doctrine, if we have a firm understanding of what the scripture teaches, then we don't have to get caught up in the waves and insanity that is coming at us right now. I was looking at some studies online this week, and people try and quantify things, and it's kind of funny. But there's a lot we could talk about there, but they say that right now a human processes about 70-ish gigabytes of information a day. So you computer nerds will know what that means. Okay, remember when you had the floppy disks? Little five and a half inch floppy disks? How many gigabytes were on those? Three megabytes. Okay, whatever that, you know, that's way less, okay? 70 some gigabytes of information your brain is processing. Why? Because you've got screens, you've got technology, you can drive a hundred miles a day, no problem. Look at how much you're taking in within a hundred miles. Whereas a hundred years ago, that was a long ways. Think of how much things have changed. Look at the population since 1800. I can't remember, I'm going to be off probably a little bit on this, but I think around 1800 there was around one billion people in the world. 220 years later, there's a, how many billion? Nine or something? Seven billion people on the planet? If you could go back to Adam and Eve and draw a timeline, a graph of the population as time goes on, it would look like this, and then it would go whoop, just like that, straight up in terms of time. Think of what that's doing to the human mind, all of that information and all of that stuff coming at you. But if we, if we believe that the word of God is alive and active today, if we believe it is sufficient for us for a life of godliness, then no matter what the times are, it is sufficient for us to navigate the chaos, the anxiety, the difficulty, to take a time out and go, okay, I'm feeling all these things, all these things are bombarding me, all these thoughts are going through my head, but I gotta take a time out and go, what is the truth? What is godly thinking? Am I training myself for godliness in these strange things and times? Watch your life and your doctrine closely. What are you choosing to believe? Does it line up with the scripture? Isaiah chapter 8, verses 11 through 14. 
For this is what the Lord has spoken to me with a strong hand, instructing me not to walk in the ways of this people. Who is this people? Do you know? In Isaiah? It's the Jews. It's God's people. But they are not following God. God does not like how they are operating. God doesn't have any trouble disciplining his children, so he sends the Babylonians and carries them into exile and things like that. Difficult times fell on them. And he says to Isaiah, do not walk in the ways of these people. Do not call conspiracy everything these people regard as conspiracy. Go ahead to the next one. Do not fear what they fear. Do not live in dread. The Lord of hosts is the one you shall regard of holy. Only he should be feared. Only he should be dreaded. Who else do we fear? Nothing. We don't fear an antichrist. We don't fear a mark of the beast. We don't fear the government. We don't fear losing our rights. We don't fear if we die today. There is nothing worthy of our fear but God himself. Really. The end of all things. And boy, that's heavy, isn't it? That's intense. God, and this is God speaking to Isaiah. And he will be a sanctuary. That powerful, uh, like Jason said last last week, the omnipresent, omnipotent, all-knowing, all-powerful God of the universe that we are to fear and dread because he's so powerful is also our sanctuary. He's our rest. See, rest... And the idea of Sabbath goes way beyond just the Sabbath that we see in the Ten Commandments. When we read about rest in the scripture, we begin to realize that as the story of the Bible progresses, really what it's leading to ultimately is a final day of rest. A day when we will rest with him in eternity. That we can rest from having to earn our salvation today. Hebrews chapter 4. Lots of teaching about that. There's a rest of God. It's more than just a day. It's, it's, if I could put it this way, and um, uh, Mark Buchanan in his book, The Rest of God, which is a lot of the inspiration for what I'll be talking about over the next few weeks, he calls it, not, it's not just about having a Sabbath day or a Sabbath hour, it's about having a Sabbath attitude. That we rest in God no matter what day it is. That we can be secure in who he is and what he's given us. That we have nothing to fear. Or to toil over. We need the sanctuary to run to. The strong tower. The rock on which our faith is built. God is calling us to be a people that can zoom out of the circumstances. And even over time, zoom out and realize there is a much bigger thing at work. A much bigger plan that God has. And if I really believe that, I can stop and go... Okay? We need, to, we need to watch what we're believing. Guard our doctrine. That's one of the charges to the elders of the church. God put authority and structure in place in the New Testament through the elders of the church. Can we, can we trust his word to guide us in that? And what is one of the things he uh, challenges them with? Guard the doctrine. Be able to refute. Be able to teach and instruct. It's very important that we understand the truth. And what it says. I got a number of communications this week about the mark of the beast. There goes the anxiety in the room. Ratcheted up. When I was a kid, okay, first it was the social security numbers. Then it was credit cards. Right? Barcodes. Tattoos. 
Now it's microchips, vaccines. Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me ten times, shame on me. What does the Bible say, though? Not what I learned as a kid from, from somebody, or I learned from some internet prophet who really isn't submitted to the body of Christ and isn't teaching according to sound doctrine of the scripture. Am I believing that? Am I buying into the anxiety? What does the scripture teach us about these things? I'm leaving, <laughs> dancing on the edge of a knife here because people are tense. They're downright ticked off. But let me ask you some very simple questions. What do you believe about salvation? What do you believe about God being sovereign? What do you believe about it would deceive the elect if that were possible? We've got to go back to the word of God and establish sound doctrine before we go running off on some trail on something someone said on the internet. If they are outside of the authority of God, if they're outside of the authority of the church, if they're outside of the word of God with what they're teaching, you have to stop and ask yourself some very serious questions. Are you watching your life and your doctrine closely? Are you resting in God or are you getting on the anxious wave? Whatever it is. Because there's plenty of them right now. Simple things like, you know, when we're talking about something kind of that stretches us like, you know, Jason talked about 666 last week and, and we talk about the mark of the beast. It's like all these things come into our head that maybe we heard once upon a time or somebody told us or we read a book or something like that. But we've got to go back to the word of God and say, what does it teach? Did you know that the Bible talks about being marked a lot? There's stories in the Old Testament where God had them marked before the angel came and slayed a bunch of them. Book of Revelation, three other places, I think it talks about Christians being marked on their forehead and on their hand. Do you realize that John is caught in the spirit and he's seeing from a spiritual perspective on these things? We've got to stop and go, what is right doctrine here? What does the word of God teach us? Should I be fueling anxiety and causing people to worry or should I be leading people to the rest of God? The security, the confidence, the faith. We shouldn't be afraid of anything. We don't do that right. We screw that up sometimes because we got to go, wait, what if I lose my rights? What if I accidentally lose my salvation by accidentally ending up with a microchip that somehow inadvertently swears my allegiance to Satan? That contradicts everything about soteriology that is in the Bible. It doesn't make sense. We got to stop, take a time out, don't ride the anxious wave, go to the Word of God. What does it say? What did he teach us? It's sufficient to lead us. We gotta be really careful. We are witnesses of God on the earth. Are we representing him well? We don't need to be afraid. I sometimes, I think it's funny. It's like, no, God prophesied and ordained that the end times would happen. Why do we act as if we're gonna stop it? We want it to happen. John, at the end of Revelation, come quickly, Lord. Bring it on. Let's go. I'm ready to go home. You know, in time, when it's time. He knows he's in charge. We don't need to live in fear. We can rest in him. Why? Because he's given us all we need for life and godliness. So if we want to rest, we have to take a time out. It's just like an intense basketball game or that goofy game that the Green Bay Packers play not very well right now, where you take a time out. Wait, stop the clock here. God's not confined by time, by the way. 
He sees the end from the beginning. We live in this fear like, I'm saved one minute and I'm not saved the next. And then I'm saved a minute after that. Maybe tomorrow I'll be saved. And if I happen to die at the wrong moment, I won't be saved. I'm sorry, that is not good theology. Period. And God sees the end from the beginning. He's outside of time. He determined your end before you were ever born. Are you going to change it? Are you going to change his mind? Sorry. Come on, and that is so comforting, isn't it? And where do I find that comfort? In the word of God, in the truth, resting in him. What is true? What is right? What is good? There's such a big, much bigger picture going on. Okay, I want to cover a couple other things. Have I provoked you a little bit this morning? I think the first service went away with more questions than answers about what I had to say. But you guys, we got to think about these things. I'm not trying to tell you what to think. I'm trying to tell you where to go to think. Go to God. Go to the scripture. Look at the whole. We talked about this a year and a half ago. We spent a lot of time going through how to interpret the scripture. You've got the meaning of the individual words and sentences. You've got the meaning of the sentences in their context. You've got the overall teaching of scripture, and you've got some historical information. Are we applying those things when we read about something that, drive, that, that, that we're afraid of or concerned about or worried about, like end times doctrine and stuff like that? Or if, I, if somebody's on the internet claiming they're a prophet, how do I vet that? Well, you know what? The Word of God gives you lots of structure. The, the prophetic words are to be judged by the other prophets. These people are to be submitted to the body of Christ. They're to be under the authority that God has put in place in the local church. When they just run rogue and do their own thing, I'm sorry. It's not going to take that seriously. We've got all those things in place that God put in place for us. We didn't. God did in His Word. Why? To keep us safe, to keep us at rest, to keep us confident and full of faith, moving towards what he has for us. Okay. If we're going to talk about rest, I want to take just a few minutes and go back to the beginning. In the beginning, where's the best place to start a story? In the beginning. There are actually so many questions about our lives that are answered in the first story in the Bible. And we just blow right over them, but when you stop and dig into them and contemplate them and realize how they play out throughout the entire scripture, it's very rich, and there's a lot of good things in there. But we want to go back to the beginning, and we want to look at what God did when he made us. Why did he make us? Why am I here? We've got to have a good theology of work if we're going to have good theology about rest. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness to rule. What did God make man to do? Go ahead, you can say it. You rule. Hey, when I was in high school, like that's what you wrote on people's notebooks. J.R. rules, right? But actually the scripture says, you were called to rule in the earth. What does that mean? It means you have authority. It means you have responsibility. Rule, let's see, rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and the livestock and over the earth itself and every creature that crawls upon it. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them. That's us. God blessed us. Yay. Then said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and every creature that crawls upon the earth. We were made to work. And I'm not talking about just getting up in the morning and going punching a clock and getting a paycheck. There's a sense, I mean, 
I think in most of us there's a sense of I want to produce something in the world good. Whether it's with my family, whether it's with my career, whether it's in my ministry, there's a desire to progress, to subdue the earth, to make it better, to be fruitful in whatever it is that we do. And you know what? That's right and good. God called you to that. He called you to work, to produce, to invest yourself in this earth and do something good. You know, we we have, I'll tell you why we have some bad theology about work. Because some people would say, that what I'm doing right now is the Lord's work, right? But I would argue and say every job represented in this room, unless you're a drug dealer or something worse, is actually meant to glorify God in some way. It's a gift of God, and it's your gift to the world. Do you ever think about your work as, a, as worship to God? When you frame that wall or pour that slab, you've been cussing half the time because the board won't fit and the nail gun and everything else, and yet stop and go, this is the Lord's work. Or you're up in the middle of the night and one of your kids is sick and you're having to clean up the mess and you (laughs) that's the Lord's work. It's part of who we were made to be and what we were made to do. Every bit of our lives can glorify God and honor him. We were made to work. But then something happens in creation. And we see it, Genesis chapter 3. See, man was made to work. We're talking about eternal life, paradise. God has taken man in Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. It says, the Lord God took the man and placed him in the Garden of Eden to cultivate and keep it. All you gardeners out there, you're doing the Lord's work, right? There's a cultivation that man was meant to do with the earth. And that plays into our reality today. But then man sins. Man rebels against God. Man disobeys God and goes his own way. And you know what? The earth becomes cursed. Do you know who cursed it? Who cursed the earth? God did. God cursed the earth. Why? Because he's righteous. He's, He's a right judge. He judges rightly. Punishment is part of his prerogative. Why? But but he makes things right in the end. This journey begins right there. And so it is because of us, it's a consequence of what we did, but God in his authority does this. And he said to Adam, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and you have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. And then the burden sets in. The curse. We die now. We return to the dust from which we came from. And so many times, one of the things that I've observed over the years, it's kind of a toss-up, but I think probably the, the number one issue I end up in conversation with other men about, whether it's in a kind of a counseling situation or just casual conversation, what do they talk about? What is their problem? It's work. They're frustrated with their job. They're frustrated with their career. Should I go on to something else? Like, does anyone really like their jobs? I mean, my wife likes her job most of the time. And, but it's just something we kind of have to do, and so we just put up with it. But it really is an issue because our identity gets wrapped up in it. It's so important to us. We might hate it, but we think about it all the time. Isn't that interesting? You're having a conversation with somebody that absolutely hates their job, and it's all they want to talk about. 
<laughs> There's just something wired in us, in our identity, but it's cursed. There's a thing where we're, we're going to die and we're going to toil, and that's the way this world is. And it becomes part of God's journey that we begin to walk this out. And so it says on the seventh day that God rested from his work. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in their vast array. And by the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So that on that day, he rested from all his work. And we begin to see the pattern right from day number seven. God rested. God didn't need to rest. The Bible says he neither sleeps nor slumbers. He doesn't get tired. But he did it as an example to you and I. And then when he brings the Israelites out of Egypt and he starts to give them his law, he establishes a holy day of rest called the Sabbath. And you can do this and you can't do that and you can do this and you can't do that. Lots of rules surrounding the Sabbath. And then Jesus comes along and he, he breaks the Sabbath in their minds by healing people on the Sabbath. That's work. You're not supposed to do that. Jesus is like, oh, your thinking is messed up. And he rebukes them. And he says, man wasn't made for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath was made for man. Man needs rest. But then we understand in Hebrews chapter 4 that actually the salvation of Jesus Christ is our ultimate rest. We don't have to earn our salvation with God. We don't have to earn our standing with him. You can't work hard enough. You cannot, cannot, cannot do it. And we can rest from that labor of works in Christ. He provides that Sabbath rest for us. Did I already tell you about the dream I had? Where I, okay, that was last service. I'll tell you about a dream I had. I have lots of wacky dreams, okay? So we're, we're not even going to go there. But I had a dream a couple years ago that I died. And I woke up in heaven. Don't read too much into this, okay? But I do think it was a blessing from God. And you know, you know people write books about what they saw and all this kind of stuff in their dreams and stuff. It was just a dream. And maybe it was nothing. But it was interesting because when I woke up in heaven, you know what the first thing I noticed was? I could breathe. Oh, the weight was off. It was so real in my dream. I was just like, wow. And when I think about that now, I'm like, it will be a rest like we've never had before. It will be a freedom from the curse and the burden to the nth degree. It'll be, it'll be new. The Bible says, behold, I am making all things new. Yesterday we had a, a funeral in here and, and, it, and it came up that someday Ma, we, would, we would see mom again and she would have her new body that she wanted. That's true. It's all new. Rest. Deep breath. That power, that spirit is accessible to you right now to rest from the toil how about rest for the soul? Our bodies work and build houses and build careers and build technology and whatever it is we do. But what about our soul? It's toiling in anxiety because the world's putting pressure on us to be afraid, to be angry, to be this, to be that. And yet it is contradicted by the word of God, which says, come to me, I will give you rest. Even in the middle of this situation, how about all situations? For all time, it is his promise to you. You can rest in him. You can be secure in him. So you don't have to fear a mark of a beast or a, the Antichrist or the government takeover or dying or cancer or COVID or vaccines or non-vaccines. You don't have to fear any of those things when you're grounded in the word of God. Watch your life and your doctrine closely. 
For by it you will save both yourself and your hearers. Watch it closely. Be careful what you allow yourself to accept as absolutely true. Take a time out and rest in God. God, I am secure in here. You are sovereign. My salvation is secure in here. That your, your end times plan is perfect. Whether I like it or not. We can rest in him. You see what I'm saying? I would encourage us today, in light of all these things, to stop and think anew, think fresh. You know, the Bible is full of scripture about renewing us. Have you ever changed your mind about anything? Some of you maybe not, but (laughs) have you ever had to change your mind about something? Oh, it's painful. Especially like if you're in an argument with a spouse or something like that. You dig your heels in on an issue and I'm right about it. And then some glaring evidence comes along. And you're like, oh, I don't want to change my mind. I don't want to change my heart. I don't want to change my attitude. I want to just sit here in my pride dug in because I'm right. In my righteous anger. (laughs) That's not who God called you to be. It's not an attitude he called you to. He's called you to transform. He's called you to change. He's called you to be renewed. Let's look at a couple of scriptures. Do not be conformed to this world. We have to be able to differentiate between the world and the scripture and God's word and God's spirit. There's a worldly thinking, there's a worldly process, and there's a godly process. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal, refreshing of your mind. That by testing, you need to test it. Discern what the will of God is. It good, acceptable, and perfect. In truth, uh, the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, this is Ephesians chapter 4. Put it off. Change your mind about it, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. I read a definition that Mark Buchanan has in his book. It says, repentance is the ruthless dismantling of old ways of seeing and thinking. Say that again. Repentance, which we know basically means to change your mind. But he puts emphasis in it. He says, repentance is the ruthless dismantling of old ways of seeing and thinking and then a diligent and vigilant building of new ones. God has called us to repent from things, to change our mind, to dismantle modes of operation, to dismantle thinking and turn to him, turn to his word, embrace his spirit, embrace his change, give ourselves the grace to change, humble ourselves enough to change. It's okay if you let your pride down and go, okay, what is God saying here? What does his word say? Okay, I'm going to adjust based on his word. God has called me to this. He has not called me to that. We have to be able to change. He wants to change. God is way more interested in changing your mind than he is to change your circumstances. Let's say that one more time and think about this. God is way more interested in changing your mind than your circumstances. He judges by the heart. He judges what's inside. What's inside will be eternal. The temporal situations which you find yourself in any place on the earth at any given time are only temporal. He's concerned with the inner man. That's where the transformation takes place. That's what he's concerned about. 
So here's my exercise for you today, and I think we'll have one of these every week. Stop. Just stop. Take a time out. If you find yourself getting ramped up, agitated, anxious, angry, fearful, all these things, time out. Stop the clock and take every thought captive. Okay, the scripture teaches us very clearly, 2 Corinthians. Take every thought captive to obey Christ. Would you put that scripture up there, Nick, please? Take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. So when the thought comes in, see, we... Oh, man, just give me a couple minutes here. I'm going over just a little bit. Okay, we, we talk about this thing like uh, the mark of the beast and Jason was talking about numerology and, and stuff like that. Listen, the, the, the most dangerous God we are at risk of worshiping other than God is ourselves. We are our own God. Nobody tells me what to do. I decide. I decide right and wrong. I decide for myself. There is no authority. I'm the authority. My mind is God. If I make up my mind, my mind is right, and my mind will determine all things. Guys, it's dangerous, dangerous thinking. It's humanistic philosophy. We are called to submit all of that to God and let Him change it. Let Him shape it the way He wants to shape it. So when the thought comes in our mind, we start having these things like, wait a minute, I'm in charge. No, I'm not. Take it captive. Is that an obedient thought to Christ? No, it's not. It needs to submit to him. So and so, you know, some hateful thought, some angry thought, some fearful thought, some anxious thought. Stop and go, what is the truth? Okay, yes, brain, you're thinking that. Thank you for sharing that with me. Now we're going to submit that to Christ and see if it's true. Is it true? Is it true? And then God guides us. You guys, we have every reason to be at peace. We have every reason to be secure. We have nothing to fear. Not really. That doesn't mean we'd be stupid. We're going to be wise because we're stewards of the earth. We have a responsibility for our bodies and our environment and the world around us and our relationships and our community. We will answer to God for how we handled those things. So we need to be wise. But we don't really have anything to fear. We can rest in him. The wise person considers his ways, but the fool keeps telling himself that nothing needs to change. Proverbs 14.8, the wisdom of the prudent is to give thought to their ways, but the folly of fools is deception. Give thought to your ways. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my concerns. Sometimes that's translated anxiety. David had anxiety, didn't he? Test me and know my concerns. Lead me in the... See if there is any offensive way in me. Lead me in the way everlasting. What a great prayer. In Matthew eleven twenty eight to wrap up. Come to me. If I'm weary, really, every minute of every day, go to him. Go to him. Lay it at his feet. Seek his rest, his security. Operate out of that place of rest. Every interaction you have, every conversation you have, every thought that you comes in, take it and make it obedient to Christ, who does what? Gives you rest. Would you stand, please? Lord, I pray that you would bless this people with a sense of your presence and rest. God, with a sense of security in you and in your word.
God, that, God, that if any anxious or angry thought starts creeping in, Lord, that we would lay hold of it and submit it to you and your word. God, if we start getting information that's bad theology, bad information, bad thinking, Lord, that you would remind us that your word is there to nav- help us navigate those things. So I pray that you put a hunger in each one for your word so that when those difficult times come along, they go to you. They pray to you. They seek your face. They examine what you've had to say. God, lead us in the way everlasting in that life-giving spirit that you give to each one of us. In Jesus' name, amen.